You are listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries, both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss what happened to Michelle Von Emster. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. I'm so happy to finally be back here with all of you. Um, and on a new day, too, Thursday. Uh, so the last time I spoke to you, I was about to go into surgery, so I just wanted to quickly address that for those of you who may have been worried about me. I am pretty much recovered. Um, the doctors were able to find what they thought they would find, and they took it out. Um, we were hopeful that it would alleviate all of my pain. However, it hasn't. I'm feeling a lot better, but there's still a little bit of pain. Um, so I'm currently taking this medication, which will hopefully help. And if it doesn't, I'm going to be in line for another surgery but it won't be until next year. Um, I know that my medical history and my personal problems are not really what you came here for. So for now, I'm just going to continue to create content for you and we're going to get through this with the help of some couch potato sleuthing and ibuprofen. <laughs> I also wanted to make sure that I express my sincere gratitude and appreciation to each and every one of you who reached out to me during my hiatus and sent out kind messages and asked about how I was feeling and how I was doing. I am so grateful to have such a supportive fan base and incredible listeners like you rallying around me. Um, it really meant so much that first off, you would even take time out of your day to think about me, but then to like reach out and ask if there was anything that you could do to lift my spirits. It's certainly something that I'm never going to forget. We talk so much on this podcast about depraved acts of maliciousness and callousness. And sometimes when you're in this pit and you're in this world, it can be difficult to remember the goodness. So thanks to all of you for reminding me of the good and kindness that still remains in the world. Um, like I mentioned earlier, it's Thursday. It's a new day. Uh, Thursday will officially be my new release day. I found that when I release episodes on Tuesdays, I was working a lot on the weekend when I really just wanted to be spending time with my kids and making memories with them. So with a Thursday release date, this will allow me to work on episodes and do my recordings when my kids are at school. And I think it's going to be an amazing change for me and I hope for you too. So hopefully you guys are on board with that. If not, doesn't really matter because it's my podcast, so you get to listen to them when I put them out. <laughs> um, let me quickly get in my shameless plugs before I forget because I always forget. Um, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved. Um, there you can comment, send me a case suggestion, and just kind of hang out with me during the week. I have a website. It's www.mysterystillunsolved.com. Uh, there you can binge all 58 of my episodes. 58. Can you believe it? It is so crazy. Um, honestly, I'm just so happy to be back. I really couldn't care less what day we released, when we released, as long as I'm able to release them. Um, while I was recovering from my surgery, I got on this shark kick. I watched Jaws 1, 2, 3, and 3D. Did you even know that there was a 3D? Because there is. Um, I also watched Deep Blue Sea and Megalodon. So yeah, I was kind of on a shark bender. 
Uh, I only mention it because it might explain why I decided to cover this case of all cases, particularly for my first episode back from this little involuntary uh, hiatus that I was recently forced to take. Um, while I go over the details of this case, you may be tempted to jump to a conclusion, especially since at its face, it seems pretty reasonable, but as true crime lovers, we must always remember that things are not always as they appear. You all know that I'm a New Yorker and you can take the girl out of New York, but you can't take the New Yorker out of the girl. So in accordance with the oath I made years ago to abide by the New York Minute, let's cut the fluffy crap and get right down to our case today. On the afternoon of April 15th, 1994, two men were out surfing off of the coast of Oceanside Beach in San Diego County. All while they were surfing, they noticed a flock of seagulls that seemed particularly interested in an area of kelp. So, when the two men finished surfing, they made the long trek to that section of the rocky, kelpy area. There, in the kelp bed, they made a gruesome discovery. The mangled, deceased, nude body of a woman. In no time at all, the body was taken to the lifeguard headquarters as they waited for the police to arrive. When police arrived at the scene, they took one look at her and pretty much made up their mind what they thought had happened. But the body was nude, and there was no way of identifying who she was in order to locate a family member or a friend who could tell them just what exactly she might have been doing in the water. There was one pretty identifying characteristic, though, a butterfly tattoo on the woman's shoulder. Ten minutes from the location of where this woman was discovered, there was a purse that was found in a heavily foot-trafficked area. Inside the purse was a wallet. Inside the wallet was an unused concert ticket, credit cards, $27 in cash, and a driver's license. The name on the card was Michelle Von Emster. You have to realize, though, that the police had no way of knowing that this purse and the deceased woman were at all connected. So, they decided to address the public, hoping to find any leads that could lead them to this woman's identity. Apparently, a woman who worked with Michelle had reported Michelle missing and told the police that she believed the body of the woman in the kelp bed was indeed Michelle. It took some time for police to get to her, though, because everyone was calling in tips to the police and they had to re review each lead individually. But when the woman called again and said that Michelle usually didn't shave her legs or armpits and had a small butterfly tattoo on her shoulder, that caught their attention. They called the woman into the station, and while they didn't allow her to physically view the body in person, they did bring out photographs. By viewing these photographs, the woman was able to positively identify Michelle Von Emster. This was excellent. Now that the police knew who she was, they could contact family, friends, and coworkers, and not only learn more about Michelle, but also find out why on earth Michelle would have been in the water that cold April night. They were able to track down Coco Campbell, who was Michelle's roommate at the time and also her friend. Coco had been very concerned about Michelle. Apparently, on the night of April 14th, the two had been super excited. They had been lucky enough to scalp these tickets to a Pink Floyd concert. The two had gotten ready and driven over to the concert, only to be turned away. Apparently, these two women had been scammed, and these scalped tickets were not legitimate. 
The two were bummed and made their way home, but Michelle wasn't really quite ready to go home yet. About six blocks from her apartment, she asked Coco to drop her off at the beach. She wanted to go for a walk and enjoy the crisp ocean air. Coco told police that this was not at all unusual for Michelle. You see, after Michelle had graduated high school, she had attended the University of St. Mary's in Morago, California. She had almost completed an entire year of schooling when she received some devastating news. Michelle had cancer. Because of this, she had to withdraw from school and return home. After about a year and a half, she made a full recovery, but she had missed a lot of school. Not only that, but the math credits and like all these other credits that she had acquired were no longer valid, so she was going to have to retake those classes. It was then and there that Michelle made up her mind that before she returned to college again, she wanted to take a little break from it all and just live. So she packed her bags and did something she had always wanted to do. She moved to San Diego. It was here she became a walking contradiction to many who knew her. Michelle loved to party, but she also refused to go a single day without some form of meditation or yoga. All right, so back to Coco. Coco said that she had dropped Michelle off at the beach around 8 p.m. on April 14th, and then she had gone home. When midnight came around and Michelle had still not returned, Coco became very concerned. But she's in her early 20s. She doesn't want to overreact. She was thinking, all right, well, maybe Michelle met one of our friends at the beach, or maybe she decided to go to a bar. So Coco didn't call the police. She just went to bed hoping that Michelle would be home in the morning. But that wasn't the case. Michelle never did come home. One thing that has always bothered police was that Michelle's body was nude. Was it common for Michelle to skinny dip in the ocean? Coco adamantly says no. She claims that Michelle was actually pretty fearful of deep water. This was, however, contradicted by a lifeguard who claims that the summer previous, he had noticed a woman swimming in the water. He had swam up to her to make sure that she was okay, and as he got closer, he noticed that she was topless. And he believes that this person was Michelle Von Emster. I am keen to not think that this is real. Like, I don't think that it's a load of crap. Like, I really do feel like that lifeguard had this experience, but I'm not really sure if I believe that the woman was Michelle. Maybe it was a woman that looked like Michelle, but I don't think it was her. Because first off, it was a year prior. It was summertime, not April. I mean, I don't know. I am more keen to believe her roommate that she seemed to have a pretty good relationship with than this random lifeguard who, like, saw her for, like, two seconds one one month, a long time ago. Okay, so now I'm going to go over the autopsy report from the medical examiner, whose name is Robert Engel. And as a courtesy, I do want to give a trigger warning for those who don't want to hear about any of this stuff. And as always, the only reason I have chosen to include these findings in the episode is because I believe that the information contained in the file is pertinent to proving or disproving the theories that we're going to discuss today. But again, if you would rather not, I'd encourage you to probably skip ahead 15 to 30 seconds. The medical examiner report notes that Michelle's right leg was completely missing from the thigh down. Her neck had been broken, quote, as if she'd been in a car wreck, end quote. Some of her ribs had been broken. She had scrapes, bruises, and contusions all along her body and her face. The wounds were not clean. They were rough and seemed as though they had been ripped and twisted. 
The most devastating thing found in the report is the fact that sand was actually found in Michelle's mouth, throat, lungs, and stomach, meaning that Michelle was alive when these injuries were sustained. All right, now that I've gone over the critical parts of this autopsy report, honestly, what are you thinking? What do you think might have caused this? You would not be alone if you believed this was an open and shut shark attack case. But if there were no doubts, we probably wouldn't be talking about it on this Mysteries Till Unsolved podcast. So you know that there has to be something more to this. All right, for starters, Robert Engel had never performed an autopsy on a shark attack victim in his entire career, so his frame of reference that this was a shark attack was kind of like unfounded and needed to be backed up by someone other than him, wouldn't you say? However, no one who ever directly viewed Michelle von Emster's body had ever worked on a shark attack victim before. Now, to give Robert his credit, he did contact an ocean, an oceanology institute, uh, think like Richard Dreyfus from Jaws, and in fact, the guy he spoke to over the phone was even named Richard. <laughs> but this was more of a poor man's Richard Dreyfus because this dude, Richard, never came down to Oceanside to view Michelle's body for himself. He just took what Robert was saying at face value and based on what Robert Engel told him, he said, yeah, I mean, it probably is a shark attack. So this is how we've gotten here. Michelle von Emster's death certificate lists shark attack as her official cause of death, and it has been this way since 1994. If poor man Richard Dreyfus would have gotten his tookies in his car and made the drive to Oceanside, he might have seen with his own eyes Michelle's body, including her wounds, and he would have been able to definitively tell Robert without a shadow of a doubt that this was in fact not a shark attack. This is a perfect example of what us couch potato sleuths would label as not thorough. <laughs> like insert facepalm, right? For starters, Michelle's leg, um, it has always been assumed that a shark bit her leg off, but the only shark that is capable of that would be a great white shark. But a great white shark's bite is so powerful and so clean that the remaining limb would resemble that of a bone cut with a table saw. There would also be teeth stuck in the leg. Like remember when you were a kid and you learned that like sharks have endless amounts of teeth in their face. Like they lose a teeth, they grow a tooth. They lose a teeth, we grow, they grow a tooth. Like there was no teeth in Michelle's leg. Michelle's thigh bone, in fact, looked like a bamboo stalk that had been whittled down to a point. In Richard's entire career, he had never seen a shark bite that left a bone in that way to a point. This phenomenon is actually more common in an accident where the leg becomes like twisted and ripped, not bitten clean off. Michelle's neck break was also not consistent with a shark attack and was in fact more consistent with a high fall or a car accident. It was the police's feeling that Michelle had been skinny dipping in the ocean when she was bitten by a shark and this caused her to drown. 
But as we know, this would not be possible because Richard said that based on the bite's location, Michelle's femoral artery would have been severed and she would have bled out immediately before she ever reached the sand below. This doesn't make sense though because Michelle's mouth, throat, lungs, and stomach were filled with sand, meaning she would have been alive and alive for quite some time afterwards that this incident took place. Now, I do want to acknowledge the fact that there is no doubt in my mind that Michelle did sustain some shark bites, but is the conjecture of Richard after he finally decided to take the time to look at photographs of Michelle's body years later that these bite marks were made from blue sharks, and blue sharks are scavenger sharks, so these bites would have been made post-mortem. And Richard's findings are consistent with that as well. Basically, from what I'm reading from Richard and other oceanologists and biologists who have reviewed the case, is that the only shark that could have done this, bitten off her leg, is a great white. And they believe, based on the wounds and the bite marks, that nothing at all indicates a great white shark. Also, it is believed from the ME report that this supposed shark attack took place between 9 p.m. and 2 a.m., when it would have been completely dark, which is completely out of character for great whites hunting patterns. So great whites are light receptor predators. So they swim far below the surface and they look upwards. They're looking for shadows with the help of the sun for shapes of their favorite treats. This is why great whites hunt at dusk and dawn. And as we all know, there's not much sun from 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. in the middle of April. But if the cause of Michelle's death was not a shark attack, then what could it have been? There are a few theories out there I'd love to discuss with you today. So the first theory is that Michelle did this to herself, that Michelle climbed to the top of these rocky cliffs, took off her clothes, and just jumped. The police claim that she must have been depressed about not being able to see the Pink Floyd concert, to which I say, you guys are so stupid. <laughs> You're telling me that this young girl who had just gotten a second lease on life after battling cancer and coming out the other side victorious just decided to leave it all because she got scammed by a scalper? I don't think so. <laughs> Some police said, okay, maybe she didn't jump. Maybe she fell. I mean, those cliffs are notorious for crumbling. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, that's a little bit better, guys, but just one problem, Skippy. Where the F is her leg? Also, where are her clothes? Her clothes were never found, and her purse was found 10 minutes away. This just doesn't make logical sense to me. Another theory is that she might have been hit by a car walking home. Uh, the person who hit her panicked and just like threw her in the ocean. But again, this doesn't explain how her leg wound is like that and where her leg went. Like, where is her leg? Another theory is that Michelle might have been skinny dipping in the ocean near the pier where her friend dropped her off. A boat might have come by and unknowingly hit Michelle. Michelle would have gotten stuck and pinned upside down by the boat's propeller, forcing her to take like a big gulp of water and sand. When her leg just couldn't give into the pressure any longer from the propeller, it ripped off, causing this unusual pointed tip of the bone that is consistent with twisting and ripping. 
Then it's possible that this boat and its drivers unknowingly dragged Michelle's body 10 minutes away from where her purse was found. And I got to tell you, this theory seems pretty legit. I think it holds water. Um, The only thing that bothers me um, about it is how her clothes and trench coat were never found. But I mean, it's certainly possible that somebody might have just stolen them or like found them in the morning and thrown them away. Like, I I don't know. I don't know. The last theory seems wacky and kind of out there at first, but after you do a little digging, it might not be so crazy after all. Some believe that Michelle was murdered and not only murdered, but murdered by someone she knew. Well, sort of. So shortly before Michelle had started a new job, she worked at this coffee shop named Rumors, which I think is an awesome name for a coffee shop, but I digress. Um, Michelle felt forced to leave this job, however, however, because she believed that she had a stalker because this man would come to the coffee shop and sometimes he would come in and order something, but most of the time he would just park outside and watch her from her, from his motorcycle. Um, It got to the point where Michelle no longer felt safe um, when she closed up at the coffee shop and she would like ask friends or coworkers to walk her to her car, give her a ride. And eventually she just decided the hell with it. I'm just going to leave and work somewhere else where this guy like doesn't know. Um, Michelle never told anybody the man's name, but that wasn't by choice. Michelle genuinely did not know her stalker's name. Uh, She also never filed a report, which makes sense to me. I mean, the police didn't really start taking stalking seriously until much later. And honestly, let's be real. (laughs) Even now, they don't really give a shit until after stalker harms you, um, which is much too late in my personal opinion. (laughs) I think we can all agree. Uh, And this leads us to a motive and possibly another suspect. Michelle had been talking to a guy and they seemed to really be hitting it off. Um, He had finally asked her out on an official date. They went to a bar where her date had a friend who worked there as a bouncer. Uh, The two hung out at the bar for a while before wanting to take things back to his place. I don't know. I don't know what they were going to do. They bought a six pack of beer and began walking to his house. They had not gone very far when a truck came speeding up behind them and it was the bouncer friend. And he was very, very upset because he had just been fired from his job because apparently shortly after the two had left the bar, a crazed man had arrived The bouncer had pushed him out and locked the door, thinking that he had nipped this thing in the bud, but wrong. This lunatic began breaking the door down, eventually ripping the door off of its hinges with his bare hands, and he got inside and caused, like, a whole ton of chaos. And it was because of the bouncer's, quote, inability to do his job that they fired him. Michelle and her date commented on how crazy that was and wanted to know who the guy was. And the bouncer replied, I have no idea, but he rode off on a motorcycle. Is it possible that Michelle Stalker had heard about her little date and had become so enraged that he went to the bar that night? Was he so upset that she would be with somebody else and that he couldn't go in to see her that he had literally ripped a door from its hinges? And if that was him, what kind of damage do you think he could have done if he eventually got to Michelle? 
Now, I said that this lead could potentially get us another suspect, and that's true. So this guy, this guy that Michelle went on a date with, after this date, he was super bummed because this was just a couple of days before Michelle went missing, and he never got in touch with Michelle again after he saw her that night. He said, quote, I thought we had had a good time. We had an emotional connection, and there was definitely a physical attraction. I just didn't know why she wouldn't call. Then, a few days later, I heard about her on the news that she was the girl who had been attacked by a shark, end quote. This guy was devastated. So devastated, in fact, that he decided to write a little poem and post it on the internet. And here's just a small snippet from this endearing and heartfelt sonnet. Quote, the report said there was a tattoo, a butterfly on her shoulder, which I remembered that night on the couch when I, like the shark, chewed on her lip and took off her shirt. End quote. Um, what the actual hell? <laughs> Obviously, when this poem was posted, it rang some alarm bells, not only for the police, but for the public as well. Was this some weird way of this man confessing? Had this guy had anything to do with Michelle's death? Or was he simply a weirdo who wrote some words that were less than tactful and a little incriminating? I have decided to choose the latter. This guy has always fought for Michelle's case to be reopened and for her official cause of death to be changed. And personally, I just don't see why someone with a perfect scapegoat or scape shark uh, would draw more attention to himself. One more thing to discuss before we wrap up these theories is that shortly after Michelle's death, a woman at a local printing press noticed a man who would come in every day and make copies of something. He actually came in three days in a row and printed like a bunch of stuff. So on the third day, she got a little curious and one time he left to go to the bathroom, she raced over to check what he was making copies of. He was printing off an autopsy report and not just anyone's autopsy report, Michelle's. The copies were typed, but also had these handwritten notes in the margins. One note in particular that was incredibly interesting to her was the last page, where it listed the cause of death as great white and blue sharks. And in the margin, this man had uh, written, blue sharks, bullshit. The man returned, grabbed his papers, put them in his backpack, and rode off on a motorcycle. As you can see, this case has a lot more to it than just a simple shark attack cause. There are so many avenues that you can go down with this case, so many twists and turns. It's endless, honestly. And who is this mysterious motorcycle man? As far as I can find from my research, no one has ever been able to find out. What do you make of this case? What do you think really happened to Michelle Von Emster? I want to know, so be sure to let me know on my Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved. If you have a case suggestion that you want to share with me, you can DM me also at Mystery Still Unsolved. I love to cover cases that you are interested in. It makes it much more fun for me when I know that you guys are going to love it, so send those suggestions my way. I also have a website where you can listen and download all 58 of my episodes. It's www.mysterystillunsolved.com. Thank you all so much for coming here and listening today. I know that the possibilities, like, 
of true crime podcasts are vast out there. And so I'm seriously so honored and appreciative that you have chosen to come to my little speck in the universe. Um, If you want to know how you can support this podcast, like I said before, you can follow us on Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved. You can go to my website. You can share with your weirdo true crime friends, except for here, they're not going to be weird. They're going to fit right in. Um, And the best way to support this podcast would be to join me next week. When together, we'll discover, did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved?